going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 42 of the Deep Ball Gridiron Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Pello, joined, of course, by my co-host, Corey Lickman at Core. I mean, what another crazy weekend, really, of college football in the NFL. It started off great on Saturday and stuff like that. And it continued on to Sunday. I mean, you saw really everything Monday night again on primetime. We saw a great wrap to the week, and I'm excited to uh, get into it and recap it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, another big week. Um, pretty entertaining NFL and college, so yeah, uh, ready to get to it. Yeah, we'll start in the NFL first quarter, and I guess we'll start with the biggest overarching theme in the NFL. The kicking game was just forgotten this week. It was tough. It played a huge role in a lot of games, and I guess we'll start with the one that it was kind of like on the biggest scene in a sense because it came down to a game-winning kick that finally was hit. We'll go with the Green Bay Packers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals hung in this game. They played tough. But I think the main story of this game again was Mason Crosby missing three straight field goals. In that also, Evan McPherson, McPherson, the kicker on the Bengals, also missing two field goals in there. Crosby at the end was finally able to knock one down, but uh, kind of a bad brand for the kickers right there, um, missing all those clutch kicks. and almost felt like Crosby would never hit a kick because he missed like two kicks at the end of regulate, two kicks like under two minutes left in the fourth quarter, and then missed another one in overtime. So, uh, not, not very good, not a good look. Yeah, man. I mean, as a kicker, kicker myself, it, it's something you just hate to see. I mean, it's a tough job out there. I mean, you literally got one job. You got to put the ball through the uprights, and I mean, on Saturday it was obviously a struggle, but I mean, Mason Crosby obviously uh, eventually put through the uprights. I mean. Evan McPherson out here thinking he has the game winner when it hits the flag on the on the outside. I don't know. And, and everyone on the, and every one of his teammates was buying it also. It was honestly pretty funny. But, you know, Mason Crosby, a uh, pretty good kicker for the last, like, 10 years. I mean, finally, finally cashes it through, sends uh, the Packers a 4-1 and one, and a tough, tough loss for the Bengals, dropped to the 3-2. Yeah, tough loss to the Bengals and tough look for McPherson, as you were saying. I, I can't really blame the like the lineman and the holder for like not sell like you know what I mean. They gotta celebrate. If the kicker thinks he made it, obviously you think he made it. But McPherson, <laughs> if you look at the replay, he like looks away when the ball's like almost like through the upright. It almost looks and like the ball just still tails a little bit to the left. It hits the flag like over the upright and stuff like that. McPherson definitely thought the ball was going through the uprights and squeeze in, but fortunately it didn't. Like you said, Mason Crosby was just so relieved that he finally hit that field goal. So. All is good in Green Bay, thankfully, whereas if McPherson hits one of those field goals, um, Mason Crosby's on the chopping block. I mean, he's not not realistically, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll keep Mason Crosby around. He's been so good for so many years there, but uh, fans would not have been too happy with him. But you win the game, you know what I mean? You get a little bit of cred. Uh, two other guys hit game-winning field goals this past week. Nick Folk hit a bunch of field goals for the uh, – Patriots in that game against the Texans and a game that uh, they kind of didn't look great in, but they end up squeezing out. Davis Mills, I get a lot of huge shout to him. He looked real good in that game. Another team who didn't look great, but they were able to prevail with a late field goal. Last second one, Greg Joseph, a guy who missed a 37-yarder earlier in the year against the Cardinals, comes back from 54 to win the game against the Vikings. I mean, that's a huge kick, stepping up in a huge spot and stuff like that, especially with a franchise notorious for missing game-winning kicks. So uh, good for Greg Joseph there and uh, Nick Folk as well. Yeah, I'm going to start with the, that Vikings. You know for a fact if that game-winning kick is against, like, I don't know. Let's say it's against the Browns. You know Joseph is pulling it right, but the but the Lions just have some type of curse this year. And uh, they have a 66-yarder go against them and a 54-yarder for the win. But Greg Joseph probably doesn't make that against 
85% of the teams in the league, but uh, credit to him for that one. But Nick Folk, obviously, shout out to him. Uh, yeah, I, I took the Patriots in my survivor pool, and I I really thought I was, I was going to go down. I'm like, Belichick, this guy never loses to rookie quarterback, quarterbacks. But like you said, shout out. Davis Mills threw for three touchdowns on the day. Played really well, but yeah, Nick Folk out here bailing out the Patriots offense. Can't punch the ball in the end zone, and they get it done. But I don't know. The Patriots really not looking that good after five games, but, I mean, they squeeze out a victory. And uh, this one over the uh, pretty bad te- Texans. Yeah, and um, uh, they couldn't really run the ball like, as well as I thought they were going to as well. Uh, Damian Harris did get a little banged up. Interesting to see if he's able to, to go this week. But you mentioned the Lions, yeah, about how they can't buy anything for the life of them. It's honestly a shame, you know what I mean, that they've already lost these two tough games. Dan Campbell was, like, almost tearing up a little bit in his press conference talking about his team. And, I mean, there's nobody else in the league, if you ask me. That, I mean, excuse, I should rephrase it. There's a short list of people in the league I'd want to play for if I was able to play in the NFL other than Dan Campbell because that guy just seems like he's very passionate about his players. He always has, like, his players' backs and stuff like that. Again, he lights a fire under people and stuff like that. So I really think Dan Campbell is kind of, like, a newer coach in a sense of like, you you know what I mean? Like you're kind of like seeing this new energy and stuff like that. So I think the Lions potentially have a keeper in Campbell and I'm telling you, they're going to win a game soon. They will not go defeated this year. I promise the Lions fans, they will win a game eventually. They're the honest. They're, they're too good of an own five team to be on five. Oh yeah. I agree. I, I, I love Dan Campbell. I liked the signing before the season started. I saw like two, like I remember two of his guys got in a fight. And all he said was it fired me up, which I loved. I mean, seemed like, like you said, a very passionate guy. I, I think you said it looked like he was almost tearing. I'm pretty sure, like, he definitely was tearing after that game. Um, yeah, I mean, 0-5, guys making a lot of money. Like, a lot of guys probably, they're just going to they're gonna go through an interview, go through the motions. But, I mean, Dan Campbell, obviously, uh, passionate about the team. Obviously, 0-5. But, I mean, as a, as a, if you're a Lions fan, I think that's something, like, you got to respect and uh, hopefully he could um, he could build them to to win some football games soon. But like you said, I think a win has to be in their future. I mean, they can't be like kickers can't be keep banging 60 yarders for the win against them. I think eventually they're going to get a win. I think this week might be a close game at home against the Bengals. But I think yeah, definitely soon they got to get a win. Yeah, I agree with you. And somebody who's also like better days are ahead for Rodrigo Blankenship on Monday Night Football. Something just didn't look right with him. I know at one point they had their punter, Rigoberto Sanchez, attempt a field goal that eventually like there was a penalty on it. So then they moved up five yards and then Blankenship comes back out and ends up hitting that field goal. But again, uncharacteristic from him to miss an extra point, miss two field goals late in that game that kind of left the door wide open for the Ravens to ultimately come back in. We'll touch on that game in a little bit. I just want to focus more on Blankenship, too. I, I mean, I don't think they ever gave any, like, clarity of what was really going on with him. You could tell something was off with him on the sideline. But uh, I'm sure he'll figure it out. Just a brutal loss, though, for the Colts, in a sense, on a game where you could have iced it down the stretch twice and you were unable to capitalize. Yeah, nah, I thought it was really funny when that guy Sanchez, I don't know what it was. Like, Sanchez about to kick that field goal. Naheem Hines holding, I'm like 99% sure this guy gave him the laces. And he, I think he missed it, but Marlon Humphrey jumps offside and the camera just goes right to Blankenship running on the field. Comes out of nowhere. I don't know if that was planned, but yeah, I mean, Blankenship, 
obviously looked a little banged up, missed that 47-yarder for the win. It was just a tough weekend in general for kickers. But, uh, yeah, Colts losing that game is a true gut-wrencher. I mean, they had no business losing that game. at uh, Easily should be at 2-3 and three right now. But, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about it now, but I think Lamar Jackson obviously put that team on his back on the Ravens. I think obviously a brutal loss, but you just got to tip your cap to Lamar. Still should have won, but I mean, Lamar put up some effort. So I think uh, Frank Reich might just have to tip his cap to him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think right before we get into that one, I think I just want to kind of wrap it up with the most extra points ever missed in a weekend this past week, 13 total. So, I mean, the Jaguars, I believe their kicker missed like two extra points, I want to say. I know the Jets kicker missed an extra point out in uh, London. Yeah, 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 just a tough weekend overall to be a kicker core. I know not not your weekend to really uh, hold your head up high and be like, those kickers, man. (laughs) <laughs> They're very skilled. Obviously, listen, kicking is completely, you know what I mean? It's a hard thing to do, man. That's why there's still so many, like, there's a lot of competition out there. That's why Justin Tucker is so great and stuff like that. You can appreciate greatness. And I, I don't like when people are just like, it's kicking the ball through the upright. Like, there's just so many other factors to it. So, yeah. you know what I mean, Corey? I'll, Corey, I'll stick up for you guys. I'll defend the kickers uh, till I go down. You know what I mean? They, they, they deserve all the recognition in the world when they hit a big kick and stuff like that. And sometimes, some of these days, I mean, extra points maybe a little, uh, I'm, not, I'm not as lenient on, but uh, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, Sometimes you're just going to have a bad day. You know what I mean? It sucks that your mistakes are just showcased out into the world. Yeah, I mean, kickers got a tough job. I mean, think of it like this. A wide receiver drops a pass. It's like, oh, we'll get him the next play. Wide receivers. I mean, um, a kicker shanks a field goal. Everyone's like, oh, three points left off the board. Like, I mean, it's just tough. But at the end of the day, those people, obviously, that, like, say just kick the ball. I saw, like, something, like, it was a long time ago, like, if those, like, those fans or, 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 like, just anyone, like, try kicking it, they probably don't get the ball off the ground. So, obviously, harder than it looks. But, you know, kicker myself, I got to gotta stick up for the kickers also. So, I'll always, um, for the brand. And, yeah, I mean, hopefully next week is, uh, is a little better. Yeah, hopefully we bounce back strong next week, kickers, as a community. But uh, let's move on to – I love how I'm looping myself into that kickers yeah. community, by the way. But now, I, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a special advisor to the community. But uh, let's move on, Corey, to uh, another big part of this weekend. We saw top, the top of the AFC maybe have a little power shift and stuff like that. Corey, you were mentioning Lamar Jackson and his heroics. I mean, you could start with this because that Monday night game was unbelievable. Lamar throws for over 440 yards, leads them down the field, a 16-point comeback. Ultimately, they win the game in overtime. Uh, yeah, listen, Lamar Jackson is quieting a lot of haters this year. And a Baltimore Ravens team that, if you ask me, is probably the worst like roster that he's had since he's taken over. But, I mean, again, Mark Andrews had a career day. Marquise Brown looks very improved in year three. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, again, he just continues to silence the haters. You could definitely argue at this point that no one player means more to his team than Lamar for what he's able to elevate them. Uh, I will say this. I think the Ravens are a couple bad bounces away from realistically being one and four. I think that they've been able to pull games out late. Being a little – you know what I mean? Like I think if Blankenship hits that field goal late – if yeah, Blankenship hits that field goal late if – Tucker's field goal misses and Clyde doesn't fumble. Those are three Ravens wins coming off the board. So I think maybe like their record's a little better than it appears. But then again, Lamar Jackson, if they didn't have him, they would not be anywhere near where they are right now. So I think you just have to completely tip your cap to him and acknowledge that he's playing. The, honestly, even though he did win the MVP in 2019, he's playing the best football of his career right now for what he's able to do with this Ravens team. 
Oh, yeah, I don't think it's a debate that uh, Lamar Jackson currently is playing the best uh, football of his career. I think the thing that's definitely sticking out is Lamar, obviously, obviously he threw for 442 yards or whatever in that game, but he's clearly just, like, he's just slinging the ball. Like, that throw to Marquise Brown, like, you could not throw a ball better than that. Like, that was literally a dot right to Marquise Brown. Uh, yeah, I mean, just all these games, I've noticed Lamar, I think he's trying to prove that he's, he like, obviously 2019-2020, uh, he rushed for over 1,000 yards in both. I mean, I know he still has a lot of rushing yards this year, but I think he's definitely um, leaning more on the passing game. I mean, Lamar Jackson threw the ball 43 times against against the, a good Colts defense, uh, completed 37, that's 86%, and I mean... I don't know. He was just locked in. Obviously, this def- I think this is the best game of his career. Obviously, but I don't know. Lamar Jackson right now is just playing at a all-time high, and he's honestly starting to quiet the haters just because he's he's looking like an all-around quarterback in the past. Obviously, everyone know he could. Everyone knows he could run, but now he's just doing it all, throwing and running. So it's just it's honestly pretty incredible. I know you said there you bounced away from being one in four, but I mean, when you got Lamar Jackson, I guess uh, you win those close games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you even want to mention something about, I mean, one of the biggest things that Lamar's haters are saying is that, oh, like, you know what I mean? If you get them off script and stuff like that, maybe they're not too great because they're so good at running the ball and they play such good defense. But I mean, their defense is depleted from what it was really last year, even two years ago and stuff like that. And their offensive line, too, a lot different. I mean, their running back situation is kind of ugly in a sense. Latavius Murray, Devonta Freeman, Tyson Williams, and Le'Veon Bell isn't really a core in 2021 to like write home about nothing really special there. So yeah, I think again, Lamar's shown that he can come from behind and win. He can show that he's thrown the ball in the air. He's really quieting the haters. There's not a lot of people now who could say that Lamar has a true, true weakness. He's kind of putting that to sleep. But core, there were a couple, two other big wins in the AFC against arguably you could say going into the season, maybe between the like the four best teams in the league, we had the match up, match up two against each other. Of course, I guess we'll start first with probably right to right now, maybe the game of the year between the Chargers and the Browns. The Chargers win this game 47 to 42. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, there was five straight touchdown drives. It was unbelievable. The Chargers did get kind of a lucky PI call on one of those things. But I don't know if you saw like the replay. Mike Williams like, kind of grabbed the defender's jersey on fourth down and they give him a like defensive pass interference. I don't love that thing. But besides the point, Justin Herbert is proving to be that dude. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I'm not going to say he went like toe-to-toe with him, but in a sense, I mean, you know what I mean? He still kept putting points on the board, whether it was through the wrong game or stuff like that. I mean, he found a Joku for a long touchdown here or there, but at the end of the day, Herbert uh, reigns supreme, and the Los Angeles Chargers are in first place in that AFC West now, and they look real dangerous under first-year head coach Brandon Staley. Yeah, I think Brandon Staley's um, finally turning around this team. Justin Herbert, I think we all knew, uh, was a superstar in the making, but I think he's... uh, I think he's kind of arrived, obviously, um, through five games. He's He's been nothing short of spectacular. And I think a stat here that sticks out to me, I think I might have said it last last podcast about Brandon Staley, three fourth down attempts and three successful tries. So three for three on fourth down. Like this guy is just not afraid to go for it. I think some of those were, were in his own territory. I'm like, they were not fourth and ones either, like, He's just very aggressive, got confidence in his offense, Justin Herbert. He got the ball in his hands. And, yeah, I mean, this easily could be a preview 
of um, a potential AFC championship game. But I think both these teams will be here at the end. I think the AFC is pretty strong. So I don't know. I'd love to see this as an AFC championship game because uh, obviously this was a really fun matchup and the Chargers come away with a win here, proved four and one. And I don't know. I, I, I thought for sure we'll get to that after like the Chiefs thought this definitely was their division was definitely um, and the AFC West was definitely their division. But I mean, I don't know right now. The Chargers are really starting to um, find their form, and I don't know. Maybe, it, maybe it's the takeover this year for the for the Chargers and the AFC West. I don't know. Yeah, listen, it might be because you mentioned earlier. I think mean, seven for eight they are so far on fourth down conversions, which is insane. They went for it early in the third quarter on like their own thirty yard line too in this game. But listen, when you have a guy like Justin Herbert again, he threw for like four hundred yards in this game. You have that dude. I mean, you're not afraid to go for it on fourth down. You know what I mean? You know you're going to get it. And you mentioned the Chiefs might be in trouble in the AFC West. And I mean, I think they might be in trouble first. Obviously, they shouldn't even be worrying right now about getting into like uh, getting to the Super Bowl and stuff like that. They should be worried about winning their division because of how good the Chargers are and because they just lost again to the Buffalo Bills. And the Buffalo Bills, I think, have taken this next step now as really the team to be potentially in the AFC. I'm not going to give them that title yet, but, I mean, they make an absolute statement on Sunday Night Football, even after that long weather delay and stuff like that. They just seem now to have figured the Chiefs out in a sense. And I know the Chiefs did beat them in the playoffs last year, but Josh Allen, again, I mean, we just mentioned two good quarterbacks and two great quarterbacks, I should say, in Lamar and Herbert. I think Josh Allen's better than both of them, to be completely honest. He's unbelievable. Their defense has taken a huge step up from last year, as good as it was last year. It's that much better. Uh, they're starting to have a more complete attack on offense and really doing so without, like, Stephon Diggs having as big of a 2020 as he has. They're winning in a lot different ways than they did last year, where last year it seemed like they just had to score a whole ton of points. So this Bills team is real scary, and I really think they are right now, like I'd say, the favorites in the AFC. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I think um, this is definitely the definition of a statement win. Going into Kansas City, where uh, where you just lost AFC Championship game. Obviously, that picture of Stephon Diggs, like watching the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs get like their AFC Championship shirts and everything. Obviously, he only had two catches for uh, 69 yards, but I don't know. This Bills team looked absolutely dynamic on the offensive side of the ball, and then on the defensive side, just absolutely put the put the clamps on the Chiefs. I mean, Patch Mahomes had eight, like almost eight seconds to throw the ball and, and still could not find um, an open receiver. I think that just shows this Bills defense, obviously, absolutely locked down, clamping up the Chiefs. And Josh Allen, I think definitely just the definition of a dual threat quarterback. He came out that first drive, I think at like 52 rushing yards on the on that first drive and punched in a rushing touchdown himself. He could just do it all. He's got a cannon for an arm. That touchdown throw to Dawson Knox on the run, I thought that was just absurd. And then, obviously, his running ability, he, hurdling guys. I mean, yeah, now nah, this Bills team, I think they're the best team. Not not only the best team in the AFC, I, I think right now they're the best team in the NFL. Yeah, Corey, I, you know, I'm, I'm, don't, I don't know if I – honestly, they deserve to be named the best team in the NFL. I'm not going to make a declaration on who I think is the best team in the NFL because, honestly, I'm not quite sure, but I think I will give them definitely the best team right now in the AFC because they do deserve it. I mean, like I said, you go on Sunday Night Football and you beat the Chiefs uh, pretty handedly. Uh, 
you deserve that title. And with the Chiefs, I think it is a time to worry a little bit because it seems like a lot of teams are taking away that big play from the Chiefs, really, and forcing the Chiefs to kind of grind out drives. And it almost seems like the Chiefs just, like, don't want to do it. You know what I mean? They don't really – they never really get under center. They don't want to run the ball at all. I mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire now goes down. So it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt how teams have started to play them in a sense where they're just like, if we sit back in coverage and stuff like that and we don't let Tyree Kill beat us down the field so they can't have quick two-play drives and stuff like that, let the Chiefs go – 10, 11 plays on us and beat us. And it looks like that's the formula that a lot of teams are going with, that they're going to not blitz anybody. And uh, yeah, let the Chiefs basically work for it. And I, I remember too, that was something that the Raiders did real well last year. And the Raiders gave the Chiefs a lot of trouble. The Raiders honestly gave the Chiefs, before the, they played the Bucks in the Super Bowl, probably their best their best matchups. They they beat the Chiefs in a regular season. Then they the Chiefs beat them like late on Sunday night football in Vegas one time because I get how did they play it they played everybody like in their secondary deep the bed either cover two or cover four and just let te- let everything go underneath because again if you don't let Tyree Kill beat you for a 70 yard streak you just force maybe a, like them to just be impatient on offense and stuff like that so I'm sure that the Chiefs will adjust but I mean the clock is definitely ticking what are they like two and three now right I mean that is you are in a tough like in a tough division, I ultimately think, obviously, I think they're better than the Raiders and the Broncos. They are, but to catch the Chargers now, you're almost looking like, uh, you're kind of looking up at them, especially with the Chargers already beating them once. But, core between those top four teams that we think in the AFC, or maybe they're not even your top four, rank them. We got the Bills, we got the Chargers, the Ravens, and we'll go with the Chiefs. You, you thought... Uh, yeah, actually, you know, just do those three. We'll go with the Bills, the Chargers, and the Ravens. Those are the three, four, and one teams. Those are the teams that will rank right here. So who you got? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think Buffalo Bills, easily at number one. Uh, number two, I think it's a really tough match, really tough. Uh, they're obviously playing each other this week, but I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens just because they've they've been here. They've been a winning team for the last two, three years since Lamar Jackson started up. At uh, as a starting quarterback, and he's only like he he's only getting better. Obviously, his ability to throw the ball. I know they're squeezing out victories, and that that team is depleted. Um, a lot of them are season-ending injuries, obviously. But I just think Lamar Jackson, uh, upping his game to be able to throw the ball like opens up so much more for the Ravens' offense because, like, he could beat you through the air now, which I think helps them a lot. So I'll go Ravens too. And then I think it's really close to Chargers, obviously, breaking onto the scene here at 4-1. and one. I'll go with them at 3. Obviously, Justin Herbert looking like a superstar. And that offense is just dynamic. So, yeah, I'll go Bills, Ravens, Chargers. Yeah, Corey, I'm going to agree with you on your top half of your prediction with the – or top third, I should say, of your prediction with the Buffalo Bills at 1. But I'm going to swap those two and three. I'm going to go with the Chargers at 2 and the Ravens at 3 with my main point being, yes, I know that the Chargers – I mean, I know that the Ravens have – or four and one, but like I did mention, I think there are a couple bad bounces away from being one and four. And I don't necessarily think that like that's the main reason why. I just think that the Chargers are more of a complete team in a sense where the Ravens, it almost seems like where the last couple of years they've been so well rounded and stuff like that. They're putting so much on Lamar's plate, almost more, it seems like, than Herbert's plate is getting, as well as Herbert's playing as much as Herbert does for the Chargers. They're almost they're like pointing to Lamar to save them every week. And he's done it so far, but I'd almost be like that style if you ask me is not as likely to prolong as the season goes on. But look, at least they get to play this week and we get to see 
really early on who do, who we think is the better team based on how these teams come out against each other. Core, but let's kind of get on a little bit of a down note, I guess, here. We'll talk about kind of the injury bug that's been going around in the league, especially a couple teams got hit hard by it this week. I guess the biggest one was the Seattle Seahawks, and they lose their quarterback, Russell Wilson, for the foreseeable future. They did lose as well uh, the game to the Los Angeles Rams in a tough NFC West division. They're real behind the eight ball. I know Geno Smith looked all right in that game against the Rams, but I mean, at two and three right now, obviously the Cardinals and the Rams look well on their way to playoff berths. I mean, I think I like obviously the Niners over the Seahawks anyway, but especially without Russell Wilson. So I really think this is going to kind of put the Seahawks way behind the eight ball. And depending on if Russell Wilson can't get back for the next four or five weeks, I really think Seattle look is looking on the outside in for the playoff picture. Yeah, I mean, Seattle, what are they now, three and two or two and three? Two and three? Two and three. Yeah, yeah, two and three obviously is kind of tough. But, I mean, Geno Smith and his first drive looked really good. Um, I think it's definitely a, a tough one. I mean, Russell Wilson has uh, has obviously been the leader of this team for at least, like, eight years. Obviously, won a Super Bowl under him. And, obviously, he's there. He, he's 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 how they go, and I think him being out is going to be an adjustment. I don't know how they're going to play on Sunday against a good Steelers defense, but I mean Geno Smith at this point in a tough NFC West. Uh, the Rams and, and the Cardinals obviously both way ahead of the pack. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Uh, uh, Geno Smith, former Jet. I'm not going to say anything bad about the guy. I, I personally like the guy. I think he could weather the storm, but I just think the problem is when you're t- two and three in a division like this, like you're talking about weathering the storm. You're talking about Geno Smith maybe playing like 500 ball. Like, I don't know if that's going to cut it just because how good the division they're in. It's not like they're in. Obviously the Cowboys are good, but like they were in like the NFC, NFC East last year. Like I think they'd have a chance, but right now in the NFC West with how good the the Cardinals and Rams are playing, I think the Seahawks are kind of in, in a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals, again, improved the 5-0 this past week. Another statement, when I can put my hand up, I was wrong with the Arizona Cardinals. I thought that Cliff Kingsbury would have a tough time in those division games, but already um, 2-0 in those games, you know what I mean, beating the Rams and beating the 49ers. So I think the Cardinals then, I was kind of on, on the fence between the Cardinals and the Seahawks now, obviously. I'm changing my stance on that. I think the Cardinals will end up in the playoff picture compared to where the Seahawks will fade out of it. But the 49ers, too, are a team not picked for the playoffs. I think they're a little bit in trouble. They're going into their bye week this week. They did lose Trey Lance maybe for a week. I know, obviously, with the bye week, that'll help them rest up and stuff like that. But when Jimmy with Jimmy Garoppolo getting more healthy, I believe that they should probably go to Jimmy G right now. They were 2-0 with him early on in the year, and then they lost that game that on Sunday Night Football where they got down early. I, don't th- I think Trey Lance is good, but I just think that, again, I think as much as I was – preaching for him to come into the like come in early on i'm not gonna say like it's not that like he didn't like wow me enough to the sense that it's like all right you know what let's just stay with jimmy g you won the first two games and stuff like that and maybe if jimmy g loses a couple games and the playoffs are looking like they're not a thing this year then we'll go to trey lance again not saying that trey lance couldn't maybe lead this team to the playoffs but i just think they're better right now under center with garoppolo so definitely a tough decision for kyle shanahan to make coming off the bye week uh going into week seven which is uh, next week yeah, I mean, Trey Lance obviously uh, looked good on the ground, but I mean, through the air, obviously, uh, wasn't great. And I think, yeah, right now, two and three, I think obviously this team has playoff hopes. I think they went 2-0 with Jimmy G. 
Yes, they went against the Lions and the Eagles, and yes, their schedule has gotten harder. I mean, I'm saying I'm not saying if Jimmy G plays uh, the last two games, they're they're winning because obviously their opponents have gotten gotten better. But I don't know. I kind of agree, I kind of agree just because I just think right now, like Trey Lance, I think also could benefit from from learning under Jimmy G, watching him play a little more. I think it might also help that. Like Trey Lance has gotten some experience on the field, and now if Jimmy G can come back in, it kind of could help Trey Lance like see some pointers. Maybe if Jimmy G could lead and um, get them to some wins. So I think I think I think if Jimmy G is healthy, I think he he kind of should be the starter right now, just because I think Trey Lance getting some some play under his belt I think helps, but I think he he might need a little more watching from the sideline right now. Yeah, make a good point there with how he can learn for sure from Jimmy G as the season goes on, if he is in that backup role. Um, moving on to another team that was plagued by injuries this weekend, the New York Giants core. My guys, I mean, you lose Saquon Barkley early in that game. Daniel Jones, a drive later. Uh, Kenny got in and played the second half, and there he didn't start the game. Andrew Thomas was like was active, but he didn't play a snap. I mean, Shepard and Slayton and Jabril Peppers don't play. It was just an ugly game in Dallas for the Giants, who honestly showed some fight in the first half, but they got dominated in the run game, which is a little too much for them to handle. I guess a bright spot here was Kadarius Tony and how well he played. I guess we'll get into that a little later and stuff like that. But again, Dallas. A four and one, if you really think about it, too. They played really well in that one loss opening week against the Buccaneers. Uh, the Eagles did have just a nice comeback win. Washington doesn't look as good as they were last year. Now, obviously, the Giants falling to one and four, put themselves way behind the eight ball. Uh, the Cowboys at four and one right now. This is completely their division to lose. It would be uh, an all-time Dallas choke job if they somehow were not to were to fall apart and not win this division. They just look like a pretty complete team, and honestly. They honestly look like they're a contender in the NFC. As much as I would love to say, oh, Dallas might figure out a way to lose it. Um, yeah, they just seem like they can beat you a lot of different ways this year. Finally, they're getting the running game like back on track from what it used to be when you were so fearful of that Dallas O-line and their Zeke behind them. Uh, Dak's obviously efficient this year, too, not even being asked to do as much. I know, like, like I said, he didn't even throw the ball as much as normally he would last year when they got down in games because their defense this year is playing a lot better and something like that. So, like I said, just another team that can win in a lot of different ways. And I think that's the biggest reason why the Cowboys have kind of recovered from a tough year last year, obviously, with no Dak to this year now taking a huge step forward. Yeah, I mean, in this game, obviously, uh, losing Daniel Jones, that, that, I, that was kind of um, – Kind of tough to see him not being able to really walk after, like he was a little wobbly. It was kind of tough to see. Obviously, Saquon Barkley losing him. Um, yeah, Giants are really depleted right now. Kind of tough. But uh, talking about the Cowboys, yeah, I mean you're right. The, the offense is still there, averaging over 30 points a game. But I mean their defense is just forcing a lot of turnovers on um, on the defense side of the ball. Obviously, Trayvon Diggs six picks through five games. I know Kadarius Tony. Did cook him on one of those routes I peeped, but I don't know. Obviously, I think this Dallas team seems a lot different. And like you said, they're four and one and easily could be five and zero. That game against the Buccaneers went down to the wire, and, and like they were in that game, easily could have won it. Had a field goal, they left Brady a drop too much time. But I think this Dallas team, I can't see them losing the NFC East right East right now, especially how depleted the Giants are. And I think Washington is really disappointing. That defense continues to get shredded week after week. So, yeah, I think Cowboys definitely their division to lose. And 
the NFC, the NFC is also pretty strong, but I mean, I don't know. I, I think they're up there with the with the top dogs right now, with like the Rams, the Bucks, the Packers, and, and the Cardinals. I put the I put the Cowboys in that category. They're playing they're playing really well. Yeah, I think they should definitely be in that category. Like I said, they are playing some very good football right now. Corey, that brings us to the next part. We're going to go with stock up, stock down. I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but uh, I talked about Kadarius Tony and how well of a game he played. Ten catches, 189 yards. But another, like, in general, really, just this rookie receivers this past week. Jamar Chase had a big day as well as Devonta Smith, Kadarius Tony. obviously. It seems like these past couple years, as, like, college offenses have, have evolved a lot, uh, that wa- rookie rookie wide receivers can make an impact early and often. And, I mean, we've seen that really last year as well with Justin Jefferson bursting onto the scene. And this year, even, like, some of the second-year guys, obviously they're still young and stuff like that. Like, Henry Ruggs is coming more into his own this year. Michael Pittman, another really good second-year receiver there. But, yeah, it was just a big week right here for the youngins in Chase, Smitty, and uh, Kadarius Tony too. I mean, you, you watch all three of these guys play, too, and you're like, just kind of like mesmerized about how talented they are. I mean, Jamar Chase making these sideline catches and stuff like that. Uh, obviously scoring, like scoring, I think he scored a touchdown like every single game so far too. And Tony is one of the twitchiest guys you'll ever see on a football field. Like the first guy just does not tackle him. So I'm real impressed with all these guys so far, and especially this past week. Yeah, stock up. Definitely these rookie wide receivers. I mean, Kadarius Tony, 189 yards in um in this game with everyone going down. Honestly, did not get to see much of the game, but I did see some highlights. His route running, his uh, his ability after the catch, he looks like he he could be a wide receiver one for the Giants in uh, in the near future, if not right now with the injuries they have. And yeah, I mean Jamar Chase. I mean, obviously he's on my fantasy team, but just like his deep playability, like he, I saw something today, like his one on one when he's one on one against uh, like a corner. I don't know what it was, but he's, like, first in the league, maybe, like, cash percent. I don't know. It was something, like, his grade. I just saw that. Like, you cannot leave this guy one-on-one. He's just too dynamic. And there was a reason why this guy was, like, the prospect he was. I think his preseason woes kind of fooled everybody. But, I mean, you knew once this guy, like, got the hang of it in the NFL, like, he was going to be a problem. Obviously, Devontae Smith also. Um kind of on a weak offense right now, but he's still balling out. Michael Pittman, my guy out here, Mawson guys from 42 yards, just yeah, young guys out here stepping up, and maybe this is the uh, the next wave of wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, even to expand a little bit on it, I guess we'll go with pass catchers. Kyle Pitts had the best game of his young career as well. Nine catches for 119 yards in his first career touchdown on your New York Jets in London. So good to see him finally get utilized uh, to the full extent. Uh, Jalen Waddle, you're up next. You know what I mean? You were the sixth overall pick of the draft. Uh, had a huge volume game. I think he had like 12 catches for 58 yards. But with Tua hopefully coming back this week, they're also playing in London this week. Hopefully, Waddle can get on the board and really showcase again why he's such a special talent. I guess we'll go stock down core here. And we'll, we'll t- we had to talk about this eventually. I guess we'll just talk about the Las Vegas Raiders from a sense of that they did just lose that game to the Chicago Bears. And now they have um, a coaching change there. John Gruden did step away after... Uh, a lot of the stuff came out about his old emails. Look, I think it was the move that had to happen. You can't really have somebody at the top of your locker room like that with Harry Kavase. I think it's an unfortunate situation, but at the end of the day, the move that had to be made. And uh, yeah, I think the Raiders in the minutes, they had they got off to a real good start at 3-0. I think this kind of does throw a wrench into their season. Obviously, no team wants to ever deal with this. So I'm hoping uh, they name their 
he was either their assistant coach or their special teams coordinator, the interim head coach. So obviously I think they'll address that in the off season, their coaching. But for right now, I mean, they're a three and two football team that could make, maybe make a play at the wild card. So they got to worry about winning football games on the field. So I guess we'll see uh, how they can come back from that, especially losing these last two games. And they have a huge week this week against the Denver Broncos. Yeah. I mean, the Raiders off at three, no start. Everyone was like, are the Raiders legit? And obviously, I still think they could be a decent team, but I mean, losing to the Bears against rookie Justin Fields and then losing your head coach on Monday Night Football, like, it's just tough. I, I like John Gruden. I think it's kind of, it's kind of whack how tweets from like, what was it, like 2011 through 2018, but like, like, how could they just pull up tweets? I mean, emails, just like, randomly like that. I, I mean, I guarantee you, like, if you go through emails, obviously, from other coaches, other players, like, no one... There's people that say some some stuff that would get them suspended or if they're a coach, they'd have to resign. So I think it's kind of kind of tough for him. Obviously, the guy's emails were were pretty harsh. But I mean, John Gruden says stuff like this. He's never going to have a coaching job in the NFL again. Obviously, said something about Roger Goodell, but obviously it's tough. And the Raiders as a whole, it's tough to see this after a three no start. And they're definitely uh, down bad right now. Yeah, a lot of uh, unwanted controversy that's going on right here in Vegas. Uh, something that they're going to have to deal with. But, core, that's going to bring us to our game picks and stuff like that. Finally, we got our first bye weeks for certain teams. we got the Jets, the Falcons, the 49ers, and the Saints all going on the bye this week. So we got a 14-game slate. Core, Thursday night football, first game. Buccaneers travel to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Buccaneers are seven-point favorites here. Buccaneers are just coming off a huge win. Uh, against the Miami Dolphins. And I don't say huge by, it was a very important game. I mean huge by the fact that they hung 45 points on the Dolphins and handled them very easily. I think you you mentioned a lot that the Eagles love to play close games. I really think they do. They had a huge comfort behind wind as well. Uh, but their defense, their up front looked a lot better, more like it did in the first couple weeks of the season against the Carolina Panthers. They turned the uh, forced a lot of takeaways from Sam Darnold. I think the Buccaneers ultimately will win this game, but I think the Eagles keep it close, and hopefully Jalen Hurts can work some magic in a primetime spot where it just seems like the Eagles tend to like to show up. So I'll go with the Eagles to cover plus seven here, but the Buccaneers ultimately to win. Yeah, that Eagles offense last week, lots of three and outs, but – I don't know. They kept the game close. I'll give credit to their defense. I think they, um, I think they, they don't like shut Brady down, but I think they kind of slow Brady down a little bit. I think this is kind of a grinded out type of game, a little more low scoring. I'll take, um, I'll take the Bucks to win, like you. Obviously, I'm gonna take what you said. I'll take the Bucks to win, but I'll take the Eagles to, uh, to cover plus seven, the kind of like grinded out type of game. All right, moving on to the London game core, bright and early on Sunday morning. And I mean, what a way to wake up, right, and start your Sunday with the Dolphins and the Jaguars. Dolphins, three and a half points here. Uh, listen, the Dolphins have been a little disappointing this year. I mean, yes, they haven't had Tua Tagovailoa. Hopefully he will come back this year. Their defense has struggled. But I think this is a week for them to kind of uh, get right. For some reason, they don't have a bye week, too, after London, which is the only team, which I think is kind of messed up in week seven. But hopefully they can get their season on the right track with a win here. I think ultimately they will win with Tua coming back and stuff like that. And again, the Jaguars, man, they just look so ugly. And they continuously like shoot themselves in the foot. And it's like honestly more and more looking like a possibility that Urban Meyer is a one and done, which I think, again, I think it would be a shame. But I think it's something that just becomes more likely with every loss coming and every like just like dead press conference and stuff like that. So I'll go with the Dolphins here, minus three and a half. Yeah, I, I, I can't 
can't hop on the Jaguars bandwagon. Uh, I took them like two weeks ago. Like I didn't think they were gonna cover plus seven and a half or plus seven against the Bengals. But I mean, yeah, I think the I think the Jaguars dropped to zero and six, and I'll take the Dolphins here. And uh, I think they got to get a win eventually. So I'll take the I'll take the Dolphins with the points here. All right, Corn. Moving on to the Sunday's the Sunday afternoon slate. The Rams ten and a half point favorites traveling to New York to play my Giants. Obviously, those depleted Giants who probably I mean they're not going to have Saquon Barkley in that game. They might get Daniel Jones back. It's looking like as the week goes on, he's passing through concussion protocol. So that would be a big up for them because uh, obviously this line too would change a lot if you ask me if Mike Glennon is the starter there. Look, there's no way I'm not going to take the Giants at the number. I think the Giants too can compete with certain teams. I think they did compete in a sense uh, really in that first half and stuff like that until the game started to get away with Mike Glennon in that quarterback really and that just started to prolong in that sense. So I think they can compete with the Rams. So I'm going to take them at the number 10 and a half, but I'll take the Rams to win the game. Uh, it sucks, but I mean, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup and their run game, I think will give the Giants tons of fits because the Giants were not able to really stop the run at all in Dallas. And as good as Sean McVay can dial up a run, he can dial up a run game better than anybody. So I'll go with the Rams to ultimately win the game, but I'll take my Giants to cover and hopefully keep it close and just continue to fight and kind of what's ultimately starting to look like a downward season for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick this game with um, expectations that Mike Glennon is playing. So I think the Rams, I think the Rams win this game, obviously. I think they cover minus 10 and a half. I think the Giants are just going to struggle to score points if Mike Glennon is, uh, is that quarterback. That's not really a bold take. I just think that's going to happen. So I'll take the Rams minus 10 and a half here. Yeah, we're definitely hoping Daniel Jones is back at QB. No offense to Mike Lennon, but I think his best days are behind him there. I think he gave them a serviceable shot, but yeah, you're right. It's going to be a struggle if Mike Lennon's under center. Uh, moving on to the Packers, a divisional NFC North battle. The Packers traveled to Chicago to play the Bears. Packers are four-and-a-half-point favorites here. Packers are coming off a big win on the road against Cincinnati, where, like we said, Mason Crosby is finally able to hit that field goal. Bears as well coming off a nice road win uh, in Vegas, but I don't know. I just still don't see it with this Bears team. Justin Fields doesn't pop off the page me still without David Montgomery as well. Khalil Herbert and Damian Williams were able to step into the running back role. Not as dynamic of runners if you ask no as Montgomery. Uh yeah, I'm gonna go with the Packers here minus four and a half. I don't I just think the Packers are a much better team and stuff like that. I think they gotta get uh like continue to take steps forward and stuff like that. I don't think they're necessarily as good yet as they were last year. But again this team hasn't really lost since they haven't lost since that awful week one showing. So I'll take the Packers minus four and a half here in this divisional battle. Yeah, I'm going to take the Packers minus four and a half. I think the Bears uh, kind of compete. I don't know how they're doing it right now. I think three and two with Justin Fields not really doing too great. But, yeah, I just think the Packers usually dominate the Bears. Uh, I don't expect that to change here. Obviously, Packers won four in a row. I think they'll make it five. So I'll take the Packers minus four and a half. All right, moving on to our next game, Core. The Bengals go on the road. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites. Traveling to Detroit to play the Lions in Core. I think this week is finally the week that the Lions are able to do it. I'm going to take the Lions to cover, and I'm going to take the Lions to win. I think this is a pretty good matchup for them where they can win up front and stuff like that. They need to get more healthy up front on their offensive line. That would open up TJ Hawkinson more into the passing game. But I think Jared Goff finally gets the job done on a Bengals team again that really competed this past week. I just think maybe it's uh, too much of an emotional loss to overcome when they should have really beat the Packers and that should be a signature win and stuff like that. But instead, I think uh, they kind of like get, get caught a little flat footed and the Lions finally get on the board. 
Yeah, I think the what is it? I think they've played like three straight home games. Maybe I don't know. The Bengals, I think, um, on the road here. I think this might be a little bit. This line's kind of like a trap. Uh, I think the. Oh, I said someone. I think this is going to be a close game. I'll definitely take the Lions plus three and a half. I think if the Bengals win this, it's, it's by a close margin. So I think I'm going to take the Bengals plus – I mean, the Lions plus three and a half. And you know what? I think I'll go with the Lions to win the game. I think eventually they get a win here. And I think if there's a chance, uh, the Bengals obviously three and two, but still a young team themselves. So I think they get a win here under Dan Campbell. Yeah, one thing I guess to look out for, the Lions secondary has really been banged up all year. So, I mean, with Jamar. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd, it could be a field day for Joe Burrow in that sense. I think they're definitely going to have to get after Burrow. But, uh, yeah, like I said, it could, it could be a long day in the office for the Lions if uh, they're able to sling the rock around and those receivers, again, are able to win on the outside, which I anticipate, honestly, them able to do. But moving on to, I guess we'll kind of combine these two games in a sense, the Texans playing in Indianapolis against the Colts. Colts are nine and a half point favorites and the Chiefs minus seven at Washington. I combine the two games, score because both these teams are teams with high aspirations. Both should be playoff teams, if you ask me. They're that talented. And they're both coming off heart, like not heartbreaking losses. One for the Colts it is, but two, the Chiefs is just a disappointing loss. I both think these are get-right spots for these teams against inferior opponents. So I like the Colts to win big against the Texans. So I'll take them minus nine and a half. I think they're going to dominate up front a Texans team that kind of hung around a little bit with the uh, in, uh, with the New England Patriots last week. And then the Chiefs, too. I think they really hang in on Washington, a defense that has struggled. And I think Mahomes, again, they finally start to get on the right track. It's kind of similar to how they eat. They went and played the Eagles a couple weeks ago. So I like the Colts minus nine and a half and the Chiefs minus seven in those two games. Yeah, I don't know how good this is, but I'm agreeing with both your picks here. Um, I think the Colts obviously bounce back and lay it on the Texans. And, yeah, I think I think the Chiefs, it's minus seven. Oh, I think that could be tough. I still think that I still think they cover that. I, I think the the Chiefs lay forty points on the on the football team unless they just unless that football team starts to wake up. I mean, they're just getting shredded. I don't see why it would change against Patrick Mahomes. So I'm gonna agree with you. I'll take the Colts with the points and the Chiefs with the points. All right, cool. I don't like how we're agreeing too much, but moving on to our <laughs> battle we got the vikings one point favorites traveling to carolina to play the panthers panthers obviously had a tough performance in the second half last week against the eagles which ultimately led to their second straight loss and the vikings like we said had that crazy squeak by win against the lions and i just think the vikings are a better football team here they need to get dalvin cook back if they really want their run game to take off um the Panthers, Sam Darnold doesn't look as great as he has the past, like earlier in the year, but Sam Darnold hopefully will get Christian McCaffrey back in this game. I think that'll help him a lot in the battle of can you get your star running back back? I'm going to lean with the Minnesota Vikings here. I'm going to take the Vikings minus one. I just think they're an all around better team, whereas I don't think the Panthers are bad. Again, I just think the Vikings are, like I said, better in a sense. I think they have more firepower even as well on offense with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen on the outside. So I'll take the Vikings here minus one. Yeah, I'm gonna. This is the pick where I'm gonna. I'm gonna go against you. I like the. I like the. I like the Panthers here. Obviously, two straight losses. But I don't know. I think. I think the Panthers rebound here. I think last week was a game they easily should have won. I think going back. Uh, obviously, they were home last week. But I think home here against the Vikings team, which just squeaked out a victory against the Lions. I, I like the Panthers here to to uh, obviously cover plus one and win the game outright. All right, Corey, we mentioned this game earlier. We got the Chargers 
three-point underdogs traveling to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Ravens on a little bit of a short week. Uh, I rank these teams. I rank the Chargers ahead of the Ravens, and I'm going to stay that way because I think the Chargers are going to beat the Ravens this week. I think the Ravens, that's an emotional win. It might, they might come out a little flat-footed in a sense. I think the Chargers are just a more complete team on both sides of the ball, so that's why I'm going to side with them. Kind of stayed in my case a little earlier for the, the two teams on where I stood on them, so I'll kind of keep this one brief. But, yeah, I'll go with the Chargers here and Justin Herbert ultimately improving them to 5-1. and one. Yeah, I think the Ravens off a short week against a really good Los Angeles Chargers team, three-point favorite. Everything's pointing towards the Chargers. You know what that means? I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens because it's just always – never – always catches you off guard. So I think this is a close game. If it was plus three and a half, which I think it was earlier, I, I, I would take the, the Chargers. But, I don't know, minus three – Probably a push, honestly. I think the Ravens come away with a win here. Um, they've squeaked by a lot of wins. I, I think Lamar can get it done here again. I think I think the Ravens cover minus three, if not a push. But I, I definitely like the Ravens to win the game. Guy loves calling his pushes. Uh, we'll move on to another real good game this week. The Cardinals travel to the Browns. Browns two-and-a-half-point favorites here. I think this is the place where the Cardinals finally get their first loss. I kind of said that I was wrong on the Cardinals. But, yeah, I think this is another big test for their defensive front and stuff like that. The Browns have really been able to handle teams in the sense that they're able to run the football on them. I know Baker Mayfield's a little banged up and some and stuff like that. I don't really think that'll matter too much. I think their defense, too, will be able to get after Kyler Murray. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with the Browns here. Obviously, though, the Browns defense just give up 47 points to Herbert. I think Herbert, though, is ultimately a better quarterback than Murray. But, I mean, the Cardinals offense could explode here. But I don't, I don't know. I just like the Browns here to co-control this game, kind of make the Cardinals a little bit uncomfortable in that sense and really take some long drives and stuff like that and run the football on them. So I'll take the Browns here minus two and a half. Yeah, this should be a good game. I think the Cardinals, if you look at every one of their opponents besides the Jaguars, like they're all quality opponents, I think – eventually they're going to have to take an L sooner or later. And I think this is definitely the week. I think the Browns obviously a rock side, a really, a really good team. So I'll go with the Browns minus three. I think they win by a little over three points. So I'll take the, I'll take the Browns minus three. All right, Court, moving on to that AFC West battle. We were talking about the Raiders travel to Denver to play the Broncos. Broncos three and a half point favorites here. I'm kind of back and forth with this game in the sense the Broncos kind of showed some life late in that late in that game against Pittsburgh. Obviously, the Raiders are dealing with a lot of stuff, just lost that tough game at home to the Bears. I'm kind of on the fence with this one. I'll take the Raiders plus three and a half because I think it's going to be a pretty close game. I'll ultimately take the Broncos to win. I don't know. I just think uh, I'm back and forth. I mean, I like the Raiders better if you ask me as the team, but I just think playing in Denver is also a tough place to play, obviously, with all the stuff surrounding them, too. Maybe football and on the field performance hasn't been the priority focus early on in this week. So I'll go with the Broncos ultimately to win. I think this is a game, again, that if it was played a couple weeks later, or a couple weeks earlier, it would be a lot better for the Raiders and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with the Broncos. Yeah, I think also the line is like a little fishy in a sense. I think it should be closer than three and a half. So I'll side with Vegas here. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the Broncos got to get a win. Uh, both these teams coming off two straight losses. I kind of expect the Raiders to try to win this game. I think the players still like John Gruden. So I think they try to win this game for John Gruden. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Raiders plus three and a half, and I'll take them to win the game outright. And they come and uh, try to get this win. So I'll take the I'll take the Raiders to win. 
All right, moving on. We got the Cowboys, four-point favorites, traveling to New England to play the Patriots. Patriots obviously just squeezed that game around, and we've been praising the Cowboys today about how they look like they're a real contender in the NFC East and really overall the NFC. But I don't know. I'm going to go with the Patriots. Uh, plus four here, Cowboys ultimately to win the game. As good as the Cowboys have been running the football, I think the Patriots can match them up front with their physicality. I don't think their offense will ultimately will do enough to win this game. That's why I'll take the Cowboys to win it. But I do like the Patriots to cover here and Bill Belichick to keep it close. Yeah, this line is kind of kind of weird. Honestly, it's not. It's just like it's, like it's pretty low spread. So I think in Foxborough, I remember the Cowboys losing to them, I think, two years ago maybe. I know it was a close game. I expect uh, expect another close game with uh, Bill Belichick, so I'll take. Uh, I don't know, it's close. I definitely, I think they'll cover the spread, the uh, the Patriots. I'll take the Cowboys to win. I think the Cowboys have uh, have started to play better. I think they win these close games, so I'll take the Patriots to cover and uh, the Cowboys to win. All right, moving on to the Seahawks and the Steelers. Sunday night football in Pittsburgh. Steelers are four and a half point favorites here. Keep this one short and sweet. Uh, with no Russell Wilson, I'm not taking the Seahawks here. I'm not putting my trust in Geno. I think the Steelers' defense gets after him. I like the Steelers minus four and a half here, and they extend their win streak to two. Yeah, I think coming off a win against the Broncos, I think Najee Harris questionable, but I think the I think the Pittsburgh Steelers get it done here. I think they they move to three and three on the year. I think without Geno Smith, it might be a little tough. I think I think they'll I think Geno Smith and the Seahawks will battle under Pete Carroll, but I think at the end of the day, I think without your starting quarterback in a in a tough environment like that, I think it's gonna be tough. So I'll take the Steelers minus four and a half. All right, moving on to the last game, the Monday night football game, which should be a real good one. Bills five and a half point favorites against the Titans in Tennessee. I'm actually gonna flip my original pick here. I was gonna go with the Bills at the number here, but I remember too last year how well the Titans played the Bills, even when they were dealing with all that COVID stuff. I think the Bills may be a little overvalued here because of how well they just played against the Chiefs. So I'm gonna take the Titans plus five and a half. I ultimately think the Bills will win the game because I think the Bills are just that much better of a football team. But I think the Titans, again, give them something a little different that they didn't deal with this past week, obviously. So it's a completely different game plan that they have to prep for. And like I said, I think the Titans can keep this game close. They are a good team in the AFC as much as I might not be on their bandwagon. So I'll go with the Bills to win the game, but all the Titans to cover. Well, this is a tough one. I know uh, last year the Titans obviously cooked them on, like, what was it, Tuesday night football? Yeah, so- it, was like a weird, it was a weird one. I don't know. I think minus five and a half is, is steep. I, I kind of think the value here is with the Titans. So I think Titans cover five and a half. And ultimately, I think this could be a little bit of a letdown game. So not a letdown game because the Titans are a good team. I think they can't really go in there taking them lightly. I like the Titans here to uh, to win the game outright. I think you definitely could be right about them being a letdown game. I mean, they just won that huge game against the Chiefs. They have a bye week next week. So you know what I mean? Definitely a spot where you can kind of look over the Titans here and be like, all right, uh, we just beat the Chiefs. You know what I mean? We're the best team in the AFC and stuff like that. But that's going to do it for our NFL part of our show and quarter. We can finally get into the NCAA part, which it was one of the best uh, Saturday slates of college football that I have watched really in a long time. And it got started on Saturday afternoon at 12 o'clock. Craziness going on. Uh, I guess we'll start with that first quarter. We'll start with the Red River rivalry. I mean, Oklahoma versus Texas. This game was back and forth. Uh, really, once Cade Williams came into the ballgame, Texas goes up early. Cade Williams leads them down from 21 all the way back. Kennedy Brooks scores a last-second touchdown to win this game 
55-48. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas, like I said, this game just never fails to disappoint, and this week was no exception. Again, you had guys like Marvin Mims on Oklahoma going crazy. Obviously, Kennedy Brooks had for over 200 yards in this game, but I'll tip my cap to Texas, too. For a Texas team that normally doesn't show up, again, in big spots and stuff like that, again, you the joke could be right here. Of course, Texas isn't back because they blew this lead. But, I mean, they have a bright future with B. John Robinson, who's the best running back in college football, and Casey Thompson threw for 388 yards and five touchdowns. He looks like the next quarterback, at least for the foreseeable future at Texas and stuff like that. I mean, Hudson Card got the start uh, for the season, but I think Thompson will be the guy that they roll with, like I said, for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, I think, like I said, for your Longhorns, I think they look very good and stuff like that. But ultimately, I think Lincoln Riley kind of – putting his hand, putting the hammer down and being like, all right, Cade Williams, you're going in. Spencer Rattler pulled and him leading a comeback is just, oh, it was unbelievable. Like I said, it was an unbelievable football game. Yeah, this game was crazy. Texas jumping out to a 14-0 lead, like two minutes into the game was just nuts. Scoring with the first play. Yeah, I mean, Texas up 28-7. to I, I would not say this was a Texas choke. I'll give more credit to to Oklahoma and um, and and Cade Williams for uh, Caleb Williams for for coming for, for coming in for Spencer Rattler and uh, absolutely balling out as a freshman. I just I mean, what do you have like a sixty a sixty four or sixty six yard touch rushing touchdown uh, early in the game, which was amazing. Obviously made some big throws. This guy really, I don't know. You, I, I guarantee, if you ask this guy, who's who's like his role model, he's got to say Kyler Murray. He just plays like him. He kind of looks like him. He kind of got that flair. Obviously, both went to Oklahoma. He came in, obviously, balled out like him. I think. Um, I don't see how you can go back to Spencer Rattler until this guy starts to like sell. I think right now this guy's got to be the starter for the for the foreseeable future, Caleb Williams. But yeah, this was just a great game back and forth. The the environment there. Like I couldn't imagine playing in front of the, in front of that crowd. That that's just absolutely wild. And yeah, I mean, this game continues to be one of the biggest rivalries, the Cotton Bowl, and did not disappoint. Obviously, Texas Texas did not come away with the win here, but I don't know. Oklahoma just just got it done, and it was just a great game. Yeah, listen, it shouldn't be a consolation prize for Texas here. Like, uh, you get a sticker, you did well because. Like I said, they should hold their head high after this loss. But, yeah, I misspoke there. Yeah, Caleb Williams, uh, 212 yards in the air, 88 on the ground, three total touchdowns. And, again, like I said, they were down 11 going into that fourth quarter, and they put up three touchdowns. I mentioned Brooks, obviously, uh, put the icing on the cake and stuff like that. Must have had Oklahoma spread in that game because, uh, I mean, I, I thought it was pretty crazy they ran for that touchdown there. But I guess that's what happened stuff like that. It mentions core. There was a couple leaked reports before Oklahoma completely, like, shut their practices down from like shut the media out of their practices that Spencer Rattler is going to get benched and they're going to go with Caleb Williams this week. I mean, this has to be the right call. If you actually, I don't think there's any turning back, especially after they won the game. I think if you lost the game, even if it was close, you could be like, all right, we'll go with Rattler. But Spencer Rattler's future now is definitely in question because he's getting dense. If Caleb Williams continues to play well, I don't just don't think there's any way Lincoln Riley can uh, go back on that switch. I think if Williams struggles, then yes, you can. But uh, for right now, it's Caleb Williams' job to lose. And I think that's crazy to say because Rattler did come into the year with probably, like, I think he was the favorite to win the Heisman. Obviously, he was really projected QB1 of this class. So, I mean, a complete 180 for him on what his season, at least, or what people thought his season would be. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty crazy. Um, Spencer Rattler, 
was projected to to be a top five pick in the draft. I mean, Caleb Williams, he 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 turned the offense around and uh, carried them to the win. I don't know how Spencer Rattler is feeling, but I, I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley here, I think you got to go with this choice. But Pay, I got a question. You think if if Rattler, let's say let's say Caleb Williams rattles off and he he balls out like the rest of the year. Let's say Spencer Rattler sees like limited time the rest of the year. What do you think his his future is? You think he he's still like a like a top pick, or does he have to, does he stay in college, enter the transfer portal? Like, what do you think happens? Well, I think a lot of it goes. Obviously, he'll have these conversations with a lot of teams and stuff like that, and where he stands and stuff. I think he runs a lot of a risk though. Going like if he were to transfer to a school, like obviously he's going to be a completely coveted transfer recruit because as much as maybe I don't like Spencer Rattler, I mean the guy is. His, his arm is extremely talented. You know what I mean? I don't think he has some of the other intangibles that a lot of other these quarterbacks have where Baker Mayfield, if you actually has more of a chip on his shoulder and Spencer Rattler, if you actually is a little cocky, but I think that he's obviously he'd still be such a coveted recruit and stuff like that in the transfer portal. So it would all depend on the situation because if he were to go to go to somewhere, right. And then have like a bad year, his NFL outlook is completely like, trashed if you want to say you know what i mean he might like i don't want to say he's not gonna get drafted but he would go from a day one pick in 2022 to being a day three pick uh in 2023 or something like that so i think if he believes in his abilities which he should of course and if he believes in going to a right system then yes i think maybe it would make sense for him to transfer and go one more year and then go into the draft in 2023 but if teams are still saying like look you could be a first-round pick, which I would not put it past NFL teams. They see how talented he is that maybe if they can get their player development system under him and working with him that he can regain that like pre-2021 season hype and stuff like that, then yeah, then maybe Spencer Rattler does declare for the draft. So I think he does – like there is a little bit of risk. So in a short answer, I really can't give you an answer on what I think he should do. I think, again, a lot of it like is those conversations that he's going to have with teams. There's conversations that he's going to have with Lincoln Riley or some other coaches, but it does definitely raise a question. I think as like the months go on and if Cade Williams continues to rattle off wins, that's definitely a question that will kind of honestly take away from Oklahoma success because so many people will be caught up on what Rattler will want to do at the next stage for his career. But yeah, it's a great question that you bring up and I'm sure that we will get to that uh a plenty more times as this season progresses and stuff. But core, I'm going to keep it on Saturday. We'll keep it in that same slate because while I got Oklahoma and Texas going crazy, I got to turn my head to my other TV because we got Matt Corral and KJ Jefferson in an absolute shootout in Oxford, Arkansas comes up just short. They score a touchdown with no time left. Sam Pittman says, you know what? We're going for two. Our defense can't stop anybody. Ultimately, they don't get it. I did like the call from Sam Pittman there, but nine touchdowns in the second half. Corral scored four total touchdowns in this game. Uh, Snoop Conner, their running back, ran crazy. But, I mean, K.J. Jefferson went toe-for-toe with him, six total touchdowns. Two teams that had rough weeks the previous week against Alabama and Georgia. They kind of rebounded a lot again. I know, ultimately, again, Arkansas loses this game, but, I mean, you can't be upset with any of these teams. They gave you an absolute show on that field. Yeah, I mean, both teams, um, obviously Bama, we'll get to that, Bama loses, but at the time, both these teams coming off losses, pretty big losses to to the number one and number two team in the country, and um, we were expecting a close game here, almost like a consolation game amongst these two, and they definitely put on a show. I mean, Matt Corral, KJ Jefferson, they both uh, they both had days. Matt Corral, obviously, he, he looks really good on the on the ground. Up both these guys. I mean, Jefferson, three rushing touchdowns and three throwing touchdowns. And Matt Corral, obviously, also um, 
on the ground for 94 yards and two touchdowns while throwing two through the air. Like you said, Sam Pittman going for two at the end. I'm always a fan of that um, because especially on the road, your defense can't get a stop. I think you might as well. Let's just try to end the game here. Obviously, they come up short. What did I don't, what did Arkansas? They probably didn't drop that much in, in the rankings, did they? They went to oh, 17. Yeah, they're not dropping that much. I think yeah, I think Arkansas definitely still deserves to be a team in the top 25. They've uh, they've proved they've earned that right. I think Ole Miss also a very quality team. I think one of these teams. I don't know about Arkansas anymore, but I think Ole Miss keeps it up. Definitely can find themselves in like a new New Year's Six Bowl potentially. Obviously. This was a complete shootout, 103 points scored combined. And, yeah, I mean, that's just the SEC, the best division in football in every game. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. Someone, like, someone could put up a fight. Obviously, these two, two teams are pretty evenly matched. But, yeah, this was just a back-and-forth game. And, um, yeah, it's a shame in a game like this someone has to come out a loser. But, obviously, it was Arkansas and Ole Miss got the win. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that Sam Pittman should have went for two because my whole my whole thing is it like, yeah, if you're a visiting team, you've kind of been losing all game in a sense and you score like that late in it. Yeah, go for two and end it. I think that's your best chance to win the game. Ultimately, like you said, they come up short, but I kind of had a feeling too as they were like driving down that they would because it was just so obvious that like, the defenses were not going to get a stop. It was going to come down to if you, if you asked me to miss two-point conversion in overtime anyway. So I think, you know what I mean, kind of uh, get it done a little earlier with with uh, get it done early. So that's that. I think Matt Corral, again, puts a nice little Heisman moment together for him. Obviously, with this big win, he threw a beautiful touchdown to, uh, I think it's Braylon Sanders is the receiver's name there. It's called like a 60. Oh, it wasn't a touchdown. He's technically down like the one-yard line, but a beautiful ball. I think Matt Corral has really like kind of planted himself into the quarterback one conversation for the 2022 draft. I think you just watch him too. He looks phenomenal. I'm definitely very high on him. I definitely would put him over Rattler too for that. And uh, obviously that will keep progressing as the year goes on. Core, Matt Corral, kind of the Heisman door opens up a little bit because Bryce Young and his Alabama Crimson side are no longer undefeated. The biggest upset this weekend, down goes Bama. They fall to Texas A&M. I was high on Texas A&M at the beginning of the year, but they lost their quarterback. They lost back-to-back games against Arkansas and Mississippi State. And I was like, all right, you know what? I think ultimately, like, Texas A&M is kind of just going to put up the white flag. But listen, they know that it's tough to play in College Station. They got a ton of ball, good ball players on the offensive and defensive side of the balls. And their quarterback was an absolute warrior. He hurt his leg late in the game. He said, nope, I'm coming back out for that last drive. Leads them to a last-second field goal that they hit. Uh, the 12th man, as they like to call it, in Texas A&M, a well-deserved win for them. I mean – it, it started, we were talking about how it just seemed like there was such a big gap between Alabama and Georgia and then the rest of college football. But that's the beauty of college football, man. One week can completely change all of that. And Alabama now kind of finds themselves on the outside looking in at like as a number five ranking in the AP poll. Yeah, I mean, in the, in this game, um, I don't know, Texas A&M kind of went wire to wire. I mean, Bama tied it up in the fourth think got a stop and then and then they punted the ball I thought Bama for sure was going to win but I mean credit to the Texas A&M defense came up with that stop but I mean Texas A&M obviously their offense was um was pretty dynamic putting up 41 points on Bama never that simple and yeah I mean Bama now at uh one loss they're they're putting some more pressures on themselves obviously like no one gets into the playoff with uh with two wins but I think now 
they they definitely have to have to expect in uh, a square down in the SEC championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs, and they just definitely got to come up with a win there. I think if they do beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, the committee cannot leave them out. But I don't know. They might also. I mean, someone else has to lose, like in that top in that top four, whether it's Iowa or um, I mean Cincinnati, probably not going to lose. Oklahoma, I don't know. One of those teams. If one of those teams slips up, I think Bama's in a good position. But until then, I think they just have to win out and then knock off Georgia in the SEC championship game to get into uh, into the playoff. Yeah, I agree. I think they still control their own destiny ultimately, but they just made it way harder for them because obviously now it looks like they'd have to beat Georgia because I think two losses with one of them being to Georgia would depend how well you played Georgia. I think the committee would have a completely like a brutal decision to make if it's Cincinnati or a two loss Alabama team with a like with a wire to wire loss against Georgia, you know what I mean? Who would maybe be unanimously number one. Or, I mean, this is another crazy situation, right? If Batman were to lose another regular season game, right, but still be the best team in the SEC West and then beat Georgia, so they are a two-loss team, but they beat in Georgia and they have the SEC title, then who do you put in a two-loss Alabama team with an SEC chip and a win over Georgia or an undefeated Cincinnati? I think that'd be a crazy situation that I'm all for, honestly. But, yeah, um, you mentioned, I thought, honestly, Bama, like, you always have to be wary of these upsets, you know what I mean, as the game comes on, after coming out of halftime and stuff like that, saving will adjust and that. I thought when Bama blocked the punt to make it, like, a one-score game, I was like, all right, this is what Bama does, you know what I mean? They just find ways to win the game, and then instantly Texas A&M returns it, uh, a kick for the touchdown, like, the ensuing kickoff. And then it's almost like, all right, man, like, these Texas A&M guys, they're no joke. And I was trying to, like, earlier, I mean, I pointed out, I'm, I'm just very upset, Core. I went back on my hot take. I shouldn't have ultimately said the Texas A&M would win this game, but I, I, I knew that they were going to give him a battle, man, and they just didn't roll over and die. And ultimately, they were able to win on a last-second field goal. So good for Texas A&M, the Aggies. They deserve it. And they'll be, they're ranked again. I mean, I thought it was a little harsh to kind of knock them out of the rankings after I mean, two tough losses. I get it. But, uh, yeah, good for Texas A&M. And, again, a huge win. One of the biggest wins that they've had in a long time and stuff like that. Cool. We'll talk about some teams, though, that were able to avoid upsets. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call this one as much of an upset. Iowa, Sean Clifford goes out early in that game for Penn State. And I was able to battle out a win, grind it out, leaning on their defense 23-20. They were down 17-3 to early in this game. And, like I said, Clifford exiting was really, like, the dagger, in a sense, I think if he stays healthy and stays in the game, uh, they're okay and they hang on over Iowa. So I'm a little worried about Iowa. Obviously, they did just move up to number two in the poll, in the AP poll. So ultimately, I'll tip your cap to winning that game. But it wasn't as like convincing as, listen, it's still a battle. It's still a win against uh, the number three team in the country. But uh, a little bit of an asterisk because Clifford went out. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, obviously, yeah, it was a 17-3 game. Uh, Penn State was in, in in a hostile environment and was uh, kind of taking it to the, the Hawkeyes. Obviously, Sean Clifford goes down. Um, Taquan, is that his name? Uh, yeah, Taquan Robertson comes in, obviously, does not does not really perform. Like, not saying Sean Clifford is a, uh, is a Heisman candidate, but obviously he's been there a little bit and he um, – he can handle games like this. It was a tough position for Roberson in a tough environment. It's a really good Iowa defense. And, yeah, I mean, Iowa comes back and they, um, yeah, they win this game 23 to 20. At the end of the day, the committee sees it as a win against a, uh, a top five opponent and they move up. And, yeah, right now, Iowa probably looking at, at number two seed currently if uh, 
the playoff were to start today. And I don't know. I'm not really – I just think – I'm not really completely sold on them fully. I just think – I don't know how, how they would match up against a uh, a Georgia or – I know they lost, but like against an Alabama. But, yeah, I, for the time being, Iowa gets a uh, big win at home here against a, a Big Ten rival. And, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see if they keep it going. Yeah, listen, I'm not going to say that Clifford was great. I mean, the Iowa defense still forced two interceptions out of him. But, again, he still scored 17 points while I was in the game. And then once he left, the offense just couldn't get the ball moving. Roberson was definitely uh, a little bit overwhelmed. But, yeah, I'll tip my cap to the Iowa defense. They are one of the best units in college football uh, with a pretty easy schedule, if you really ask me, until a potential Big Ten championship game. And they got Purdue, Wisconsin, who doesn't look uh, what they should have been preseason, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska. So they're setting themselves up for potentially a game with Ohio State in that Big Ten championship or core. I mean, the Michigan Wolverines, currently ranked number eight, they squeezed out another huge win against Nebraska in a game that they really gave up the lead late. Then Jake Moody knocks down a field goal with like about a minute left in that game. Again, Michigan just threading that line. And it's almost like every time where you're like, all right, Michigan, they're finally going to show up. They're finally going to give like that weakness. They're not this, they're not this college football powerhouse. I don't, they're trying to change the narrative this year, Core. Uh, Cade McNamara finally played better, made some big throws when they needed to. And then ultimately the defense came up with a big play and they were able to kick a field goal late and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think Michigan, obviously, they moved up to number eight in the polls. I can't wait till they play Ohio State late in the year. But they can't look ahead to Ohio State because they got a tough, tough matchup coming up with Michigan State and Penn State. I mean, those are two top ten teams right there. So the gauntlet doesn't get easier for Michigan at all. But uh, listen, as an optimistic guy, I hope they, they can keep rattling off some wins. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think in a game like this against Nebraska, obviously Nebraska not a top 25 team. They win the game by three. But I think at this point, like, doesn't matter how you win the game. It's a Big Ten opponent. You get the win. Um, it's a big win, obviously still undefeated. And yeah, I mean, the big 10's got some, uh, what, four teams, five teams actually in the top 10. So, uh, I think overall, like the depth in this, in this conference is looking really good. You, I mean, Ohio state comes in as the pretty big favor and they're, um, I'm not saying they're not going to win the conference anymore, but like there are other teams like Penn state, Michigan, Iowa, like they're right there with them. Michigan State also also undefeated. So yeah, I mean Michigan here, six and zero. I don't know if that's their best start in a while, but usually they they have a loss in there that like just it's like a dagger, like it's a tough loss to um usually an inf- inferior type opponent. But yeah, um yeah Michigan here playing good ball. Obviously their schedule gets harder, and we're about to see if uh if Michigan is is really back. Yeah, yeah, I guess we will see, and we'll see if Jim Harbaugh can finally uh, prove why they stuck with him there. Uh, one last win that we'll go over, Notre Dame coming off that tough loss to Cincinnati. Could have really sat down and died to Virginia Tech, a Virginia Tech team at home that did beat UNC earlier in the year. But Jack Cohn comes back into a game where they've been going back and forth between him and this other quarterback and stuff like that. He comes in, he leads them on a late touchdown drive. They get the ball back, leads them to a game-winning field goal. Good for Jack Cohn and stuff like that. Again, Notre Dame... I mean, really, it seems like every single game that they played, aside from like that Purdue one, has been real close. It's been a nail biter cream down to the wire. They squeeze it out. I think they're back up to like 13 in the rankings or maybe 14 in the rankings now. So hopefully they can play themselves into a real good bowl game. I think maybe that their playoff aspirations are done. But again, 
I'll give it to my boy, Jack Cohn. You know what I mean? The guy needed to win a game and uh, he went out there late in the fourth quarter and did so. For sure. Against a uh, Virginia Tech team where they were one point underdogs. And I mean, yeah, Jack Cohn comes back and he, uh, he gets it done. He gets it done against a, a solid Virginia Tech team in the ACC. Kind of a um, whole ACC is kind of a big mess. But yeah, like you said, I don't know. It's kind of tough for Notre Dame to uh, to get in the college football playoff. Only four teams make it currently um, outside the top ten. But I mean, yeah, like you said, they 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 definitely could um, play themselves into a good ball game. I mean, that's always like a thing to play for. Like if you if you continue to play one lost game and you Notre Dame with some big wins, like you could easily find yourself in a New Year's Six game. So I don't know for them. I think they, they've looked good through six games. I think they got to keep it going. Obviously, the offense, I think, is, um, has looked really well. Yeah, for sure. I think Notre Dame hopefully keeps it going. I know their schedule gets a little tougher. I know they got USC coming up. They have North Carolina coming up as well. So, again, curious to see how they deal with that competition. But, core, that's going to bring us to our game picks. We only got two this week. We got a two-ranked match. I guess we'll start with the first one, a Big 12 battle. Uh, number 12, Oklahoma State travels to Texas to play Texas, who's ranked 25th. And they're actually five-and-a-half-point favorites here, which I think is a little bit telling. I think it tells you really how good Texas looked against Oklahoma and how ultimately they should have won it. I think Oklahoma State, too, a little overrated. I mean, like I said, I kind of bought into Oklahoma State a little bit last year, and it kind of uh, screwed me over in the sense of that. Like, I got all my hype that, oh, they were going to beat Oklahoma and run with the Big 12 uh, and play Iowa State, and that just never happened. They laid uh, a huge goose egg against them and stuff like that. Spencer Sanders does look improved from 2020 more back to his 2019 self their defense has gotten a lot better really that was something that happened in 2020 2021 they're taking another step but yeah listen casey thompson and b john robinson i'm riding with those two dogs they looked unbelievable in that game against oklahoma and really b john robinson like i mentioned has looked incredible his whole college career i don't think enough people recognize him as the best running back in college football he's must see tv each weekend so i'm gonna go with texas here minus five and a half i think it's also like i said very telling that they're not as ranked high in the AP poll. I think that's why you got to look beyond the number and stuff like that. So I'll take them minus five and a half here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think the Longhorns um, in a game where they had, like you could say, like how much better can their offense play than last week? But I mean, they came away with an L and I think that matters. I think they come back. They know they are. Uh, they need a win here against Oklahoma state at home. Obviously undefeated. It's another, I wouldn't say like it's Oklahoma, but it's another it's another solid opponent at home. I think Texas gets the job done here against um like you said, maybe a little bit of a uh, fluky type Oklahoma State team with uh Spencer Sanders. I think yeah. So yeah, I'll take Texas here to to win the game and cover the spread. All right, we're moving on to an SEC battle. Number 11, Kentucky travels to Georgia to play the unanimous number one seed, uh, Georgia. Georgia, 23-point favorites here. We saw what Georgia did to Arkansas a couple weeks ago as a big favorite. Listen, Kentucky, after they had that home win against Florida uh, two weeks ago, I thought that this past week they would come out a little sluggish, and I thought LSU might honestly beat them, but they didn't. Out the, Kentucky came out, and they proved they could be a serious threat in the SEC. Now, do I think they're going to beat Georgia? Absolutely not, but I think they're going to be able to keep this game close enough. I know they have Will Levis, the quarterback there, is, uh, formerly from Penn State, had finally one of his best games of the season this past weekend against LSU. So I'm going to go with Kentucky plus 23 here because, again, I just think that's such a big number. But Georgia, again, will ultimately uh, remind people why they are now the number one ranked team and the best team in college football. So I'll go with Georgia ultimately to win. 
Georgia has looked. I think they've um yeah they've looked like the best team in the in the country. Obviously, so I think minus twenty three here against Kentucky, who also has looked really good. Um, I think Georgia obviously wins the game. I'm gonna take them minus twenty three here, just because like that defense, they, they just don't give up points. Obviously, um, beating Arkansas thirty seven nothing and then stifling Bo Nix and Auburn thirty four to ten. I expect them to 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 lay it on the Wildcats here. I uh, I think Kentucky might battle a little bit, but I think that day, I think Georgia covers twenty three points. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely uh, – you make a great point there with how Georgia last week, they had every right to after really dismantling Arkansas to kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit against Auburn, you know what I mean? But, I mean, they did, they just did not. You know what I mean? They stepped on Auburn's neck in that matchup, and they handled them real easily and stuff like that. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Core, anything you want to leave off with? No, nah, not really. I mean, just always looking forward to um, another week of football already into week what is it week seven for college and Mm -hmm. week six for uh for nfl obviously time flying by once again so looking forward to watching some more football yeah hopefully like i said i just hope the college slate is as good as it was last week a couple matchups if you ask me that catch my eye florida lsu always a really good rivalry maybe bama getting back on track they do play mississippi state they should be able to handle them but always interesting in the college football world so i'm Looking forward to that. And, of course, week six of the NFL on Sunday. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.